Experiencing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mojo Studio. Here I am again with uh, the one, the only, the legend in his own mind, Rick Olson. What's up, Rick? You know, it's been a great day, my friend. I uh, had the privilege of speaking to some amazing leaders this morning. I had the privilege of doing one-on-ones with those same leaders this afternoon. And for me, that's about as good as a day gets. So thanks for asking. I hope you had a good day too, Joe. I absolutely did. Yeah. As I told my friend Lee, if I was any better, I'd be twice, right? That's All just right. one of those days. <laughs> so right. for those of you those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Rick, his he does public speaking and consulting and coaching, mentoring around the country, has done this for the last how many years, Rick? Professionally. This is my twenty eighth year. Twenty eighth year. And that's yeah. after a remarkable after a remarkable career in public speaking uh, for youth, which is where he and I connected back in the 1980s, believe it or not. Yes, we are that old. <laughs> yes, we've been around. <laughs> we have been around. So, Rick, t- tell us a little bit more about this model that you just touched on already about how you spend one day in an organization with a bigger group of people, and then you spend one day one-on-ones. Just kind of paint that picture for those for the listeners. Yeah, it's, it's a real need that I, I sensed in the business world a number of years ago. We had so many managers who were moving into management, and the way they got into that role is they were outstanding employees. And then somebody tapped them on the shoulder and said, we've been watching you. We think you would be a great manager. In fact, we have a corner office for you. And the next thing they heard was, good luck, kid. You're on your own. And that's it. No management training. Because they were a great employee, undoubtedly, they'll be an awesome manager. They got into the role and soon discovered it takes an entirely different mindset. All right. And so I saw that need. I saw the void. I developed a program called the Coaching College. Let's take these people and teach them the dynamics of coaching and mentoring staff how to multiply their effectiveness, how to really excel in the people building business. And so when I work with companies, I spend day one just talking about coaching and how to do that. And on day two, I say, look, I want you to coach your people, but perhaps you haven't been coached. I'm going to coach you so you know how to coach your people. And that's what I've been doing now for about 15 years. It's been probably the most gratifying thing that I've done during my speaking consulting business is helping them develop and grow and watching what happens when they pour their life into staff members. So that's it. I'm fascinated by this model and we've talked about it at length, but you know, this takes really two different kinds of skill sets, right? You've got the skill set of the public speaker where you You've got the show and you've got the presentation for the large group. And we're going to talk a lot about how do you keep that group engaged and and how do you present in a way that is meaningful and and makes an impact. But then you've got a whole nother day where it's this one-on-one 
as you mentioned to my friend John and I just the other day, you have no idea from one meeting to the next what you're going to get. It, you know, it's, it's Forrest Gump of consulting. Yes, uh, it is a box of chocolates. When you do one-on-ones, and for me, I'll do anywhere from uh, probably a very light day. Today was a light day. I did six one-on-ones today. Uh, yesterday, I did 20. Uh, tomorrow, I'll have about 20 more one-on-ones that I'll do. But you do 20 one-on-ones, 20 conversations. The door opens. In comes a person. You start talking. You have no idea what's going to come out of their mouth. They may have the best of times. They may have the worst of times, but they're ready to talk. And so you have to be nimble, light on your feet, because it could go any number of directions. Right. And so so give us a little bit of feedback like from the CEO or the, the president's perspective. What did, Where do they see the value in those two different, completely different kinds of presentations, the big group and the one-on-ones? How do they give you feedback on that? Well, they... They want to know. They want to know that their uh, their managers have all the equipment that they need to do what they want them to do. They don't want their managers just to be working managers, and that's what a lot of managers kind of default to. They go back to the things that made them great initially. Uh, default setting: put my head down, work hard, set a blazing trail. That's all my staff needs, and their staff needs so much more than that. So what their CEOs want is they want them to be uh, mentors, coaches, developers of people, uh, to be like the symphony conductor, bringing it all together, you know, and uh, really raising the skill level, the confidence level of their employees so their employees can go out and really dazzle the customers and do a great job. So they're looking for engagement in the presentation. They want to make sure that their people are responding, they're laughing, they're taking notes, and they're applying what they learned. On the second day, the coaching one-on-ones, I do not talk to CEOs about what I talk about in those sessions. It's kind of like a uh, the relationship that a priest would have with the parishioner. That's it, It's a confidential. Therapist. It's like a therapist, yeah, right? like a therapist, very much. But what I do, what I do is I will debrief with the CEO and say, look, I talked to 20 of your people today. Here are some trends that I see. I'll just give you an example of what I heard today when I did my uh, coaching. Got all done. And I said to the CEO, here are some trends that I've heard. Your workers are now finally returning from isolation after one year. It's been a very difficult year for them on many levels. Um, your lobbies have been closed to people. Your people are really feeling the need for a reboot. They're feeling a need for an infusion of life and energy into the organization, into the culture. Uh, It's been a really difficult year. So I'm going to encourage you to do some really creative team building, celebratory kind of things to pull everybody back together because they've come through one of the most challenging years they've ever had. So that was kind of my summation uh, today to the CEO of what I picked up from numerous one-on-ones. And when a, when a CEO or the person that brings you in, whoever books you for these, um, both, both the, the two-day weekend, when yeah. they give you feedback afterwards and they're telling you the most valuable thing that you provided for our organization, 
does it default generally towards the one-on-ones or towards the group or is there a mix there how, how does that usually fall back to you very very much a mix and i they they all they don't want either or they want both and they they want the training because they want their people subjected to that but they also want the the one-on-one experience and um the way I, the way I kind of share that uh, with managers and to, to help them understand how important it is, I'll say something like this because they were just with uh, a whole group of people in training the day before. Now they're in a one-on-one, and I'll say to them, "You and I are together right now, and you and I were together yesterday. But what's different about today than yesterday?" And they'll say, uh, there's 19 people who aren't here today. And I'll go, that's it. Yesterday, there were 20 of us. I was talking to 20 people. Today, you know who I'm talking to? I'm talking to one person. It's you. And doesn't that feel different than me talking to 20 people? Because if you're talking to 20, it's general principles. But if you're talking to one, it's laser-like. And it's just about them. It's just about their issues. It's just about their growth. So I, I, I help them understand that. And I also use that as leverage to talk to them when they tell me, you know what, I have staff meetings. I say, well, kudos, I'm glad you do. But there's a world of difference between staff meetings and the one-on-one. And you're feeling that right now because yesterday you were at the staff meeting, I was talking to 20 of you. Today I'm talking to you. And this is a world of difference from that. So don't uh, don't appease yourself. Don't just think, well, I, d- I do staff meetings. I'm communicating all I need to. No, you need to get right down to their personal level to bring the very best out of them. Right. And, and even as you're speaking, which I, I resonate with everything you've said, but I was, I was asking myself the question, okay, so why don't these organizations just do it themselves? Why do they bring in a Rick Olson and pay good money to have uh, an outsider tell them what they could tell each other? And here, here's my response, and then I want to hear yours as well. Sure. I was, I was thinking of, you know, even in like in a relationship and marriage counseling or whatever, sometimes you need a dispassionate third party who can hear what you have to say and give you some advice or give you feedback where there's no relationship that has to do with your career or the money or the authority structure. And that that's a different way of hearing good advice than when you hear it directly from your boss or your supervisor or someone who really has the power to fire you. Is that, is that how you experience as well? Very much. Um, it, it feels safe for everybody to have the outside person come in. I don't know the background in all these people. I'm not jaded when I walk into a room. I don't think of this person as, you know, the ultimate nor do I think of this person as, what a disgusting person. I mean, there's none of that. I don't have any history. That in itself helps me, okay? Everybody starts with a clean slate and away we go. And so we're starting from a very positive base. That's a, that's a plus for them. So th- there's a lot of issues, but, but that's one of them as well. Right. Uh, another issue that I've seen throughout the history of my uh, working environments and, and mostly my experiences in nonprofit organizations. <clears throat> but I think this is true corporate 
America as well, and you can speak to this, is that oftentimes a person gets promoted up the chain because they're a performer, right? They're a good employee until they get to the level of incompetence. So they were great at this and they get moved to the next level and then they have to supervise people and then they need to manage and then they get to the point where they're way outside of their skill set, their comfort zone, and or even their passion because really their passion was doing the thing that they came into the organization to do and they did that really well and loved it. So now not only did they get promoted to a level where they're way outside their comfort zone, but they don't necessarily get the training that that they need to really succeed at that level or they may not even want it. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that are now the leaders that don't necessarily feel like they fit there. Do you experience that as well? All the time. And it's sad, but there are a lot of uh, CEOs and executives who make the assumption if they are a good employee, if they do give great service, if they are a great teammate, that in itself qualifies them to be a good leader. And I tell you what happens to some of those people who get into, into leadership, uh, a few things. One, it's easy for them to revert back to the things that they did the best. So they were a great service provider and that's why they got noticed. What do they do as a manager? They go right back to their, I'm going to take great care of the customers because I love that and I'm so good at that. And everybody gives me rave reviews when I do that. And what I tell them is, look, you're in management now. You know what? It used to be that all day long, all you thought about was your customers. And that's what you should have thought about. But you're in management now. You know what you should be thinking about all day long? Your staff. That's what should be running through your mind all day long. They are your first line of customers. You have to be thinking about that. How can you set them up for success? And it's not going to happen with you putting your head down and working hard. It's going to be you strategically coaching and developing these people. Yeah, so that's, that's really a very important, almost vital necessity to have that mind shift for for going from I'm the performer to I'm the coach or the teacher or the, you know, the conductor, as you would say. Right. It, it is. And, and left alone, a lot of people really struggle with that because the default setting is to go back and do the things I've been praised for, for the last five years of my career, instead of stretching out. And so we do all that we can to stretch them to say, When you reproduce yourself and others, it's the most valuable thing that you can do for your company. And what does that mean? It means that you're very intentional about spending time with your people. You schedule them. You put it on your outlook. You put it on their outlook. You you meet with them constantly. There's constant communication between you. And if something gets off the track, you have the courage to have the talk. And I find that without training, that's where a lot of them fall down. Something stirs up in the department. They don't like conflict. They hope it goes away. This week, it's a breeze. Next week, it's a tornado. It was a slight misunderstanding. And seven days later, we have the Mason-Dixon line running right through our department. And it all could have been headed off. Had they had the tools and the understanding to know, how do I have the difficult conversations? How do I keep them safe? We spend a lot of time on issues like that because that's really make it or break it for these managers. Can they hold those tough conversations and survive them? Yeah. So this podcast really is 
is intended for people who want to become a public speaker, but there's so much more here than this. And this is what I'm learning, even as, as you have been teaching me, is that even if I can stand up in front of a crowd and not be nervous and make a really great, engaging, impactful presentation, that's, that's only the beginning. That's only like the appetizer. The real change, the real impact is when I can help people through the issues that we're talking about right now. Well, that's really more like mentoring, coaching, training. Well, the, the standing up in front of the crowd, being the keynote person, I've done that many, many times. It is a very inspiring thing to do. If you have 500 people out there and they give you their full attention and at the end they leap to their feet and start clapping. I mean, how good is that? That just feels great. Okay. But those same people now leave the conference and within 48 hours, they're slapped by real life when they go home. And all that kind of gets set aside and they're back into the same routines they were before. Uh, I have spent uh, a number of years as a keynote guy, just going from conference to conference, very stimulating. This is much more gratifying, the work that I do now. I work much more in depth with companies. Uh, I feel like these folks I am so attached to that when we start our one-on-one when they walk in, there's a good chance I know their spouse's name. I might, not, might know their kids' names. I remember specific things that we've talked about. I keep copious notes, which help as well. But we're just picking up from where they were and helping them in their journey of becoming a people builder. And so it's a, uh, it's a very gratifying thing to do. It, it is more work. It takes more time, takes more effort, but it's much more gratifying. Hey, I want to give a shout out to Chip Espinoza. He's been tuning in as we as we live broadcast. Chip's a friend of both you and I, I believe, uh, from days gone by. And Chip has posted a really, uh, really compelling question. I'm going to show it on screen and, and let you handle this. So he says, if you're coaching 20 people a day, how much time do you spend with each one? And what could you possibly accomplish? I think that's a very sincere question. How would you respond to that, Rick? Good. Um, my coaching times usually go anywhere from 20 minutes to a half hour. Today I had less people, so it was a half hour at a time. Uh, tomorrow it'll be 20 minutes at a time. One of the things I do to really maximize our time is I ask our people before they come into our coaching session to think about the two or three things they want to talk about. I have them actually fill out a form where they put those things on the form and they uh, email them to me before we talk. And we have a very focused time then talking about the things that are most important to them. But it is amazing if you can, uh, if you can cut out all the chit chat about last weekend and next weekend, what you can accomplish in 20 minutes. That's great. Yeah. And I think that another thing that you have taught me as well is that you get a lot more, or the organization gets a lot more bang for their buck if they bring you back then for a follow-up because over time, you develop a relationship with these employees, these managers, should, should they stick around at the organization, right? And this is actually part of the thing that will help them stick around is they're getting the training that they need to succeed. Um, but but there, I'm, I'm guessing, and maybe you can speak to this as well, that when you, you can pick up a conversation that you had last quarter or even last year with some of these employees and they are already further down the road than when you started the last session. Is that correct? Absolutely. In fact, today, a uh, young man came into my, uh, my coaching session. And my first question was, I said, so 
talked to me about, and I mentioned the name of the employee. It's an employee we'd talked to in the past. He had some challenges with this employee, and we came up with a plan of attack. And uh, so now here I am about four months later, and that, that's how I started. Tell me about this employee. And he said, well, I'm happy to report, and here we go. And he starts talking to me about what he has done and the improvement that this employee has made. And uh, we talked about other things, but yeah, we absolutely picked up where we left off four months ago. So, yeah, yeah the the the, the, con the continuity has been a real, real key. So when I work with a company, I come once a quarter all year long, and uh, they have things that they work on, and they work on them for three months, and then I'm back in three months. They have something new that they're working on. They work on that for three months. And just about the time it might wane, we're back there and we keep the message alive and we keep making progress and moving ahead. And I'm telling you, it's worked like a charm. We have companies that have been voted the uh, best within their field. We have companies that are the fastest growing within their state. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the culture that they're creating by investing uh, time in their leaders and their leaders are bringing them to wonderful places. Yeah, that's fantastic. And again, for the, for the person who wants to hone their public speaking skills, what I want you to take out of this is which, and what I'm taking out of this as well, is that this goes right back to the, the very basic premise that Rick brings when he's a public speaker. He says to them, he says to all of us who are learning to do this, he says, it's not my job to impress you. I don't want you walking out of the room going, wow, he was a really great speaker. And then nothing happens. What I want to do, what I need to do, what my goal is, what my mission is to draw greatness out of you. And so both the big group and the one-on-ones are really right back to that bottom line mission to draw greatness out of the people that you meet. As Simon Sinek says, start with why. And if you're going to do any public speaking, you have to have a really sound why for your existence. And uh, I had to come to grips with that in my own life. Um, and I'll be honest, when I started, I didn't have the right motive. I didn't have the right mindset. I had done well in college. I was ready to dazzle the world until my uncle got a hold of me and got me uh, straightened out. Rick, it's not about impressing people. It's about drawing greatness out of them. That has become my mission in life. It's what I teach. It's what I try to live. So even this week when I've worked with these companies, yeah, I've had no interest in them walking away saying, Rick Olson is amazing. What I want them to walk away is saying, you know what? I can do that. I'm going to do that. And that's that's the goal. That's the mission. So make sure you have the right why for why you're doing what you do. And one of the secondary whys I've heard you, uh, it's like a mantra for you, is find the pain and bring the solution. I'm not sure I'd be saying that right, but tell us, tell us about the secondary mantra. It's very important too. Yeah, and it's it's actually one of my favorite definitions of sales, but it works in consulting and speaking. Um, I liken people who are in any form of sales to the medical profession. And what the medical profession always does is they find the pain and they bring the cure. If I go to see the doctor, I don't walk in and the doctor says, now here's what I need you to do. The doctor asks so many questions and he, find out, he finds out what isn't working, where the pain is, and how did this start, and what, what is the background, and he asks so many questions. And then after that, 
He brings the cure. And that's what a good medical person does, but that's what a good speaker does as well. I'm working uh, today with a company in Michigan, working with them, but finding out what is the pain that they're feeling, making sure that my message is going to help bring the cure to the pain that they're feeling. And if you can do that, there's always going to be a place for you because there's pain everywhere. But if you can bring the cure, people are going to seek you out. Well, I think this is not only super important, but it's super gratifying too on, on two levels, right? So let's say I'm new to public speaking and I, I don't have my why down. And I think it's, you know, it's all about me being able to entertain and, and you know, get the, get the applause. Well, if I just can switch that mindset to really it's about the audience and drawing out greatness, I'm going to get the applause anyway. That's going to be the, the, the gravy on the side is that they're going to make a change in their life that's going to make their organization better and their own life better. And they're going to think that was a really great presentation because it made a difference in their life, right? So you get both. It's, it's a great insight and you'll actually get better applause, longer applause, stronger applause. Yeah, they'll admire you if you dazzle them with your insights, but they will adore you if you help them become confident, give them the insight that they needed to really turn the corner. Uh, they'll clap long, long, long and loud for you if you help them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're going to get everything you ever needed. You'll be just fine. Right. And then also with the find the pain and bring the cure, I think this is really important for up and coming public speakers is that you, you go into that um, field with the assumption that all you have to do is come up with a great topic and you got all the bells and whistles and the dog and pony show and, you know, and you dazzle people. Um, but if, if that's not what they need, if that's not where the pain is, if you've got the best solution in the world, but it's not their problem, then there's a huge disconnect, right? And and they're like, oh, thank you, but I don't think you've got the wrong audience. And so I, I love how you have said this, that really public speaking starts with questions, not with answers. This is a, a mind shift, right? Because we think public speaking, you're the guy, you're the answer guy. Well, you're not the answer guy if you don't know what the questions are. So yeah, you, right. you're taught, teaching us very well that you spend a huge amount of time and probably the most important part of what you do is finding the questions from the people who know who will tell you the truth and set you up for success because you're going to deliver something that they actually want and need. It's a huge part of it. And it, it's really malpractice if you don't take the time to do that. When I work with a new sponsor, one of the questions I ask before I ever speak to their people, I'll ask it this way. I'll say, Stephen Covey taught us, begin with the end in mind. So I want you to pretend like you did hire me. You did have me come in and speak to your company. I've just finished the presentation and everybody is now walking out of the room. For you, what would have happened in that presentation to make you say, that was everything I was hoping it would be. That was perfect. What would have happened? So you describe for me, what has transpired? How have your people responded? What pain have I taken away for them in the organization? And uh, that question has been so beneficial to get right to the core of what it is that that company needs. So very specifically, how far in advance are you asking this question, which is really setting up exactly what you're bringing to the table? How far in advance do you ask it? And who to whom do you ask that question? 
I'm usually talking to the CEO or the executive for the organization or association. And um, I will ask that at the time that we work out the details on my coming, many times I'll loop back a couple weeks before just to make sure that we're all on track with everything. But a lot of times these things are set up anywhere from six months to uh, up to 18 months in advance. And so I'll ask it then. I'll say, you yeah. know, I'm highly honored that you would ask me, but let me ask you. And then I'll, I'll ask that question because I do want to find the pain so I know how to bring the cure. Well, that's, that's such a setup for success, both for them and for you, because you know what they need and you can research it and prepare. So hypothetically, Rick, what if somebody calls you today and since you don't have to travel because of COVID and everybody's used to Zoom and they say, uh, I've got an open slot. I need a public speaker. I need someone to to meet with our group tomorrow or this next week. And there's really no time for preparation. There's no time for all the questions. As at the person that you are in the place that you are in your career now, do you decline, do you defer, or do you just pull out of your bag, you know, the best trick that you've got? How, how does that work for you? Uh, if a person asked me to speak tomorrow, I would say, here are some of the things that I think I do best. Um, I think I'm really strong on internal service. I'm strong on external service. I'm strong on how to handle change. I'm strong on how to handle stress in the workplace. You know, and I'd list, uh, you know, a half a dozen things and say, would one of those be appropriate for your people? And then they would, you know, they would probably say this or that would be. But yes, if, if, we're, uh, if we're that close to go time, that's how I would approach it. And that has happened before. I, I spoke a number of years ago in St. Cloud and a guy came up to me and said, that was great. I want you to speak to my staff. I said, I'd love to. When is that? He goes, tomorrow morning. <laughs> and, uh, and it was less than 24 hours. So I was in the afternoon. I came back the next morning, spoke to his staff. Uh, there was no go to the library. There was no prep time. It was just, just hit it. But did the same thing. Um, here's what I feel confident in. Uh, would any of these be helpful to you? Right. Hey, we got another great question from Chip. He says, as a speaker, how did you adjust to the COVID-19 cancellations? I mean, that you've been feeling that pain for a year now. I have, uh, yes. March 13th, 2020 changed my life as it did everybody else's life. National emergency declaration. Nobody's traveling. We heard the phrase shelter in place. The moment I heard that phrase, I knew that my life was just dramatically different. So on that day, I went on a long walk. And when I walk, I walk and I think and I pray. And uh, that day, I just, my prayer was, God, my life is radically different. What am I going to do now that I am the stay-at-home motivational speaker? And uh I came home with a plan, and I, I felt it was uh, really divine intervention, but I came home with a plan and said, you know what, I can't travel, so I'm going to begin to send out videos to all my clients and all my friends, and I'm going to encourage them every week. And I did that all through the year 2020, and it was very therapeutic for me. It was helpful for my clients and friends. I've continued to do that in 2021. It's become a huge part of my business today. I had to reinvent myself in a lot of ways. I started the speaker school. I started sending out videos. 
I started doing Zoom training. I'd never done any of that, but that's a, uh, a very big part of my life right now. So the forced sabbatical was really, really good for me in a number of ways. Right. And because of our ongoing relationship and the discussions we've had throughout COVID, um, I can say too, I can confirm what Rick's saying is that he was forced to realign and rethink how his business model works or didn't work and how, how could he deliver the same great service over a computer screen, right? Especially when you hadn't done that for all these years. And what I'm seeing from my perspective, and I'm more of a tech guy, is that not only have you been able to do that really well, but now you've multiplied yourself because the stuff that you do online, you record, you package that, you send it out via email, then they can share it with their staff and whatever. And, and so it's not doesn't require Rick Olson live in person in order for you to have an impact in organization. Now it's Rick Olson live on screen, recorded videos, email follow-ups, speaker school was all online. And, and I know from my own experience, that was just a transformative experience. And so it's, you got forced into a new world. And as it turns out, that new world is helping you set up for even greater success and, and set up for legacy for your, for your career. My life before COVID was too busy to slow down and do those things. And so I do call it my forced sabbatical. Career-wise, absolutely one of the best things that ever happened to me. But it caused me to rethink everything. And uh, it got me into the multiplication business much more than I'd been. Prior to COVID, Rick Olson was limited to where can he be on this day? And now I'm not limited in that way. And it feels great. Yeah, absolutely. So just take that as a, a word of encouragement to those of you out there who feel like sometimes the world takes you out, takes their knees out from underneath you, hits you upside the head when you weren't looking, kicks the wind out of your stomach, and you're like, what am I going to do now? And if you can gather yourself just long enough, and if you're a person of faith, pray, um, or, or what we say in organizational development is it's called a reframe, or it's a mind shift, right? So that you've got the exact same circumstances, but now you're forced to look at it through a different lens, from a different angle. All I can think of is Robin Williams in that the old movie with the boys where they get up on the desk and he makes them, you know, shout at the, out the window about how they got the whole world in front of them. And it's just, just by getting off the floor and getting up on the desk, seeing the world from a different perspective, nothing had changed other than their eyes, their filter, right. what they saw. And that's exactly what happened to you. And so that's a, a valuable lesson for us all, for sure. So um, our time is pretty much done today, but I, I do want to invite people into this conversation. We'll have more. And Rick has hinted at more than once in this conversation, this speaker school. And speaker school is a, a five-week experience all online where Rick has these interactive uh, discussions with as many people who want to sign up via Zoom and teaches about the principles, the mindset, the motivation, the methods for effective public speaking and from great experience tells great stories from over the years, many of them which are absolutely hilarious. And many of them are the things that he did wrong. So he could teach us what to do, right. what not to do as, as much as what to do. It's just very wonderful. And I've made great relationships out of that experience. So there's networking, there's interaction. Uh, and it's compared to other products I've seen out there, it's really reasonably priced as well. Um, but if you're interested in speaker school, either for yourself or for your employees or both, uh, then you'll get all that information on our podcast, which is mojo.studio. And we'll continue to work through those principles as time allows. So I want to say thank you to Chip Espinoza, to anybody else who tuned in today, and those of you that are seeing this after the fact. And just to let you know that if you 
if you start with the other people in mind, so here's my, here's my last thought, and Rick, maybe you can riff on this if you got just a minute, is that one of the biggest things that people fear about public speaking is, you know, the standing up in front of an audience and just feeling naked and feeling afraid. And really what that is, in my opinion, and from what you've taught me is, is because they're thinking about them. They're not thinking about the people who they're delivering to. Can you just go on that just for a minute? Yeah, it's, you know, how do you, how do you view the audience when you step on a stage? And uh, you have to remember the audience is out there pulling for you. They're not opponents, they're not your adversaries. They're not saying, I hope he crashes and burns. Uh, they're out there pulling for you every way they can. They want you to have a career day. They're your teammates, they're cheering you on. And so I go on with that mindset and I also, live by a motto that I've lived with for probably 45 years now. And that's whenever I meet somebody, I assume they like me. I treat them that way. And I discover that if I do 98% reciprocate, so I can be speaking to five or 500 in my mind, they all like me. I'm going to treat them that way. And it's amazing how they reciprocate. So yeah, you can, you can work through that, come to a comfortable place and uh, now you're freed up to really deliver the message to them. Right. That reminds me of one of my professors at Pepperdine in my master's program. She took me aside after one of the sessions. She said to me this phrase that I'll never forget because I hadn't heard it put this way. She says, Joe, I really like who I am when I'm with you. Thought, yeah. Wow, yeah. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, that's that really, is. That's, yeah. that's all I want to show up. I want people to feel good about themselves yep. when they're with me, right? That's what a good speaker will do and a good consultant and coach. Actually, that's a right. good person. That's right. <laughs> so so thank you, everybody, again, for your time. Hopefully this was valuable to you. Uh, feel free to leave comments afterwards. Our contact information, too, will be on, on the podcast and uh, look for that to be posted soon. God bless you, Rick. Thank you for your time. And uh, say hi to your wife and your mother-in-law for me. Thanks, friend. All right. All right. Bye-bye. This episode was beneficial to you be sure to pay it forward sharing it with others who may need a boost as well until next time dream big start small act now thank you for tuning in